Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Life, a constant state of gray decisions. Do you ever wonder how to just put it all together? What is God's will for me right now? Does my faith even affect my everyday life? These are gray, yet pivotal questions. This is not good versus evil, light versus the darkness. These small, yet big choices are what we call life. So, how do you find discernment in it? Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 3. That's going to be where we'll start today. Uh, We'll jump around to a few other passages, but we will primarily be in Proverbs chapter 3. We find ourselves in the second week of a series that Phil Hargrove started last week entitled Wisdom, The Nuts and Bolts of Life. And so throughout the month of August, we'll be looking at wisdom and we'll be asking, what is wisdom? How do we apply it to our lives? And how do we, as the people of God, live out wisdom? How do we do wisdom, if you will? And so last week, Phil Hargrove laid the foundation, uh, and he said that wisdom was the ability to discern the moment. Wisdom is the ability for one to discern the moment. Now, if we draw that out a little bit, what we can then say about wisdom is wisdom is the practical application of our faith to our everyday lives. All right, I'll say that again. Wisdom is the practical application of our faith to our everyday lives. And we started out with saying that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so if we seek wisdom, if we pursue it, if we are after wisdom, the starting point for us is only one place. We have to start with a reverent awe and fear of God the Father. That's our starting place. If we start anywhere else, we're already off in the way that we operate. And so this is where we begin. This week, we're going to get a little more practical and talk about a bit of a sensitive subject. We're talking about money today. Uh, So I know all of you got in your vehicles this morning and go, you know what I want to talk about today? I want to talk about money. All right, well, ask and you shall receive. I am here for you. Uh, So uh, we as pastors, pastors know that money is a sensitive subject. Uh, We know that people tend to put up defenses when it comes to money. And so our pastors, in their wisdom, uh, did what pastors should do in a situation that's sensitive. You send the youth minister. (laughs) All right. So... We're used to getting pretty negative emails, and so <laughs> gator tough skin, that's what we're, that's what we're about. Uh, but if, if we were honest, uh, if we just talked, if we took the facades down and we just chatted, I think a lot of us struggle with money. 
I think a lot of us struggle, a lot of us want to know what God has to say, a lot of us are seeking wisdom in the area of money. Let me give you some statistics about the American health in our finances. 70%, that's the supermajority, 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 17% of Americans confess that if they were to miss one paycheck, they could not afford to live that week. Only 32% of U.S. households could cover a $5,000 emergency should one arise without going into debt. The average consumer debt in a household is $10,700. The average saving rate of the American household is negative 0.6%. That means we are spending more than we are earning. Rates have not been that low since the Great Depression. I want you to think on that for a second. Negative 0.6%. The rates have not been that low since the Great Depression. We as Americans struggle with money. Uh, we can talk about the church. The average church member gives 3% of their income to the church. The average church body gives roughly 10% of the members of a church body give. Here, 9 out of every 20 members of First Presbyterian Church give. 9 out of every 20. It's clear that we as Americans struggle with our finances. So we're going to look to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, 31 chapters, 915 verses. I would recommend that you read it. You will find a wealth, no pun intended, of financial information in the book of Proverbs. The first time finances are mentioned is right here, Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. I think he means grape juice there. Uh, but what we are saying, what, what the author of, of Proverbs is saying is that if you want to pursue wisdom, if you are serious about wisdom in regards to your finances, the very first step is honoring God with your finances. If you're serious about this, the first step to finding financial wisdom is to honor God, put God first, be open-handed. We'll talk about that in a second. Be Godward and generous with your money. So the wise man then, or the wise woman then, does not look at their direct deposit on Fridays or Thursdays or whenever you get theirs and do the quick math and go, all right, at the end of this, once I get my bills paid, I can get that new 55-inch TV I've been wanting. No, the wise one, the person who practices wisdom, looks at their finances and says, how can I be generous towards God with this? How can I be Godward? How can I be open-handed with my money? How can I help the kingdom of God with my finances? Um, I think what Christians do, and what I've seen, I've, I've been in the church for a little while, and I think what we tend to do is we say, God, you can have every bit of my life. God, I'm in submission to you. You're the Lord of my life. Reign over me, but don't touch my money. And that's what we do. I mean, if we were honest, if, if we weren't, you know, keeping up with appearances here, we'd all be shaking our heads. Yeah, I've done that. All right, and we go, God, don't touch my money. Now, I'll give my time. I'll give my effort. Um, I'll even say good things about the church. I'll occasionally invite a friend, and I might send my kid on a mission trip but don't touch my money, and we put parameters up around our bank account. We say, you can't have that, that's mine. Leave it alone. And the problem with that, the, the big issue with that is whenever we begin to close our fist on something, 
whenever we say, God, you can't operate in this area of my life, the Bible has a very specific word for what we've just created, an idol. And we lift up the gift above the giver, and whenever you exalt something above God, you've created an idol in your life, and we say, God, don't mess with this thing. This thing is mine. And it shows where our affections lie. It shows the intentions of our heart. And here's the thing. I was in a pastor's meeting. I'm not sure why I was in a pastor's meeting. I think the internet at the church was out, and I couldn't play video games online. Um, And so I got in this pastor's meeting, and Phil Hargrove was talking, and the issue of idolatry came up, and I said, Phil, you know, it's interesting. I've found in my life and in the lives of others, there's three things that will expose what you care about. There's three things that will always expose your idols. The first of those is your bank account. The second of those is your internet history. And the third of those is your schedule. Why? How do those expose you? Because it's just data, and data doesn't make excuses. Two plus two always equals four. So if you're telling me that you can't tithe and you can't be generous towards God and you're spending $500 a week on food downtown, I think you've been exposed. And I have so many students who come to me and say, I just don't have time in my busy day to read my Bible and do daily devotions, and yet they spend six hours on Pinterest learning how to make cute cupcakes. I gotta think you've been exposed, all right? Data will expose you. That's what it does. And and listen, here's the thing. Um, If you're new here, like, if you're a guest, if this is your first time, I'm not asking for your money. I, I know as soon as I said tithe, like, the, the, the issue of money comes up, and um, we, we get nervous about those things. I'm not asking for your money, but if you're a member here, if you call First Pres your home, and this is where you fellowship and you're in community, it is our moral obligation to tithe. It is. He says in this verse, um, back in verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, I'm guessing not many of you are farmers, uh, and the word first fruit is a bit of an archaic term. It was a term established in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 23, verses 10 through 14. And there was this thing called the first fruit offering. And the first fruit offering was a command on the entire nation of Israel that at the very first fruits of the season, that you would take a percentage right off the top and you would bring it to the priests. And the priests at the temple, now they would typically burn sacrifices, but not the first fruit offerings. They would eat it. It was their food. And then what they didn't eat, they would take to the market and they would sell. And the profits of the first fruit offering went to keeping the daily functions of the church or the temple going. This, was, this is the precursor to the tithe. Tithe literally means one-tenth. This is the precursor to the tithe. There's a, a church that was situated in Macedonia. Called, uh, you might be familiar with it. It's Corinthians or the, the church at Corinth. Paul writes several letters to them. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, Paul talks about their giving. And I want to tell you something about Corinth. Corinth was in extreme poverty when Paul was writing to them. I mean, we're talking shoestring tight budget. Uh, there was a war in Iraq going on at the time, what is now called Iraq. There was a war going on over there. Uh, The housing market in Corinth just bubbled and then it burst. Camels were guzzling gas like crazy back then. It was an expensive time to live. And the people at Corinth gave and they gave and they gave and they kept giving. In fact, Paul says their generosity was marked by three characteristics. 
their generosity, their giving was marked with three characteristics. They were cheerful. They wanted to give because they knew that the giving of their money was going towards a good, godly cause. They wanted to advance the kingdom. They knew how important it was to advance the kingdom. So their giving was cheerful. Two, it was sacrificial. They gave until it hurt. There's some people in here who 2% of your budget would just destroy you, all right? There's some people in here who who giving 2% of your budget would destroy you, okay? There's some people in here who 10% doesn't affect them at all. The church at Corinth gave until their lifestyle was affected by it. They gave until they couldn't possibly give anymore. And the third thing is they gave regularly. This was habitual. It was a way of life. It wasn't just that the preacher preached on it and you felt guilty. And so when that plate came through, you're like, all right, here's 20 bucks. Tell me how much I owe and I'll write the check. This was their lifestyle. They loved it. They gave with cheerful hearts that glorified God. Why? Because the church at Corinth was so radically affected by Jesus that their trust, their security was not wrapped up in a 401k and stock options. Their trust and security was found in Christ and in Christ alone. First Presbyterian Church, can you imagine what we could do for the gospel if all of us were giving sacrificially? Could you imagine the advances that the kingdom would make in Greenville, in the Dominican Republic, to the ends of the world if we would give cheerfully, habitually, and sacrificially? We could change this place, man. We could. 13 verse 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Um, if you were to like, say one sentence about the Proverbs after honoring God with your finances, with their financial advice, what it would be, um, I would say this. The overwhelming advice that Proverbs gives is this. Look right at me. Practice common sense with your money. There's nothing spiritual about that. I'm not going to link that to the Trinity in any weird way. Just practice common sense with your money. All right, how, how hard is that? I was talking to Cody Briggs, he's on the front row here, I didn't mean to call him out. Um, uh, we were sitting at Wild Wings the other day eating lunch, and he said to me, Char- he's a financial advisor at Edward Jones, uh, great young man, uh, I guess I'm younger than him, but uh, he said to me, Charlie, it's amazing what people will do when they get a little bit of cash. And it is, we've all seen this. Uh, my parents are in town, we walked into Cabela's the other day. You guys been to Cabela's? It's awesome. It's the testosterone center of Greenville. You walk in, they paint your face camouflage. My wife couldn't find me for hours. It's incredible. <laughs> Didn't move a single time. <laughs> I walked in, and there was a display of coolers. Now, I never, just, I never use coolers, so I don't really keep a pulse on the current trend of coolers. Uh, but apparently, uh, coolers' price has skyrocketed because there's this brand of coolers called Yeti. You guys know of these things? Yeah, one cooler, probably about two and a half feet by one and a half feet, one cooler was $250. dollars $250. They had a bigger one that was $400. How cold are you keeping my drinks? <laughs> I, I asked the guy, I asked the guy, I said, what makes a cooler? Because I can go to QT and get a styrofoam cooler for six. I can even carve my name in that thing. So what makes a cooler $250? And I don't know if he was being literal or he was exaggerating like men tend to do, but he said to me, he goes, son, those things are bulletproof. (laughs) 
listen, listen, that's the reason? Like, that's it? I have never, I have never been in a situation where I go, you know what will make this day really good? Baby, bring me the pistol. I've got some coolers to shoot. I've never done that. If you have found yourself in that situation, we have counseling here at the church. Don't, don't shoot coolers. I could buy like 38 styrofoam coolers for that price. That's ridiculous. $250. What the book of Proverbs is telling us, don't waste your money on stupid stuff. Practice common. Don't waste your money on stupid stuff. Uh, I'm a gadget guy. I love gadgets. Uh, I have an iPhone 5. It's back in my office because my wife doesn't let me preach with it in my pocket. Uh, one time it lit up, and it was just really weird. Uh, so I have an iPhone 5, and I was on this gadget blog that I go on a good bit, and there was this announcement. It was headline news, and it said September 9th marks the date, and some of you younger people will put this in your calendar when I'm done talking. Uh, it's funny because it's true. Um, but they said September 9th is the day where Apple has scheduled to have a press conference announcing the iPhone 6, and in my office, I kid you not, I had an emotional response. Like, praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the iPhone 6. And here's the deal. I have a perfectly capable iPhone 5. Nothing wrong with it. Why on earth do I need to spend anywhere from two to $400 on an iPhone 6? And then you know you're in a bad spot where you're having a conversation with yourself and then you reason to yourself? Because I answered myself. And I said, Charlie, two simple words, fingerprint recognition fingerprint recognition was my reason. Do you know how cumbersome it is, church, for me to type in a four-digit unlock code with my thumb on my phone? I'm a youth minister. My time is money, all right? <laughs> uh, I got things to do, clash of clans to play. I mean, come on. I need my phone to know instantly when I want to unlock it. And, and we laugh, but don't we do that with everything? We laugh, but, but we also do that. We have that same line of reasoning. Some of you might be gadget people. Some of you might be car people. Some of you might do it with your house, wanting a new home, the latest clothes. Maybe you're into bicycles. Those things get expensive. Maybe you're into golf clubs. Whatever your niche is, that's what we do, though, is we justify this and we say, I have to have this thing, so I'm going to spend money on it. Our stuff, the stuff we have is perfectly fine but we got to get the latest and the greatest. And here's what we do, and, and listen real close, because I'm going to say something that sounds similar, but it's two very different things. We buy new stuff, not because our stuff is bad, but because we think our current stuff is not good. And those are very different principles. We buy new stuff, not because our current stuff is bad, but because we think it's not good. And so we spend money on things we just don't need. And here's the next thing, because it gets worse from here. Turn to six, chapter six. Chapter six, verse one. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you have been trapped by what you said, ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself, since you have fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go 
to the point of exhaustion and give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. You might say, Charlie, this has nothing to do with finances. What are are we reading this for? This is a very beautiful and a very biblical way of saying one thing. Get out of debt. Get out of debt. Okay, so if it's foolish to spend money on things we don't need, how much more foolish is it to spend money that we don't have? And here's what I'm not saying. Let me nuance this before you get your phones out to email me. I'm not talking about mortgages. I'm not talking about student loans. I'm primarily referring to credit card debt. How foolish is it to spend money we don't have? Get out of debt. When I was very young, I was probably, uh, you know, eight or nine, uh, my dad picked me up from school. We were riding down Five Notch Road in North Augusta, South Carolina, and he looked right at me and he said, son, never live outside of your means. And I didn't know what that meant because I was eight or nine at the time. Uh, and so I had this kind of dumb look on my face. I looked dumber than I typically do. And he realized that and he put it very simply. He said, son, if you have $7 and you spend 10, you're foolish. If you have $7 and you spend 10, it's foolishness. It's insanity. Buying things we don't need with money we don't have, we've racked up $2.5 trillion in credit card debt. The average consumer has $10,700 on a credit card somewhere that they still have to pay off. There was a study released actually just yesterday by the government that said 40% of people just can't survive financially. And so we're racking up debt upon debt upon debt, and we're spending like crazy. Greenville's a crazy place, man. Uh, I'm not from here, and so kind of from an outsider looking in, I love this city. There is some unbelievable wealth here. There's, I've seen, I'm a car guy, I've seen more than one Rolls-Royce Phantom riding around on Woodruff Road. It's a $350,000 to a million-dollar car, depending on the options. These are the things I nerd out about. Uh, so there's a lot of people with a lot of money here in Greenville. But more so than that, we have these things that I I think I've coined a term for. I call them $50,000 millionaires. I don't think I need to explain that, but I will. Uh, It's people who are willing to go into unbelievable amounts of debt in order to keep up appearances, to make sure they're wearing the right clothes and driving the right car and living in the right area and on the right teams and, and whatever it is. And we're willing to go into an unbelievable amount of debt over stuff. Over stuff. Can I tell you something that uh, I heard a pastor named Matt Chandler say, one of my favorite pastors. He's in Flower Mound, Texas, a church called The Village. Um, He said this. He said, nothing you own will not be in a dump somewhere in 200 years. That's eye-opening. Nothing that you currently possess will not be in a trash dump somewhere in 200 years. And yet we're, we're pursuing that stuff as hard as we can, aren't we? We, are, we have to get the latest and greatest. Why? Because we think it's going to make us happy. And so we buy all the latest clothes and we get the latest car that, has, that seats 15 passengers and has four-wheel drive because I know you've got to have that getting to Wild Wings after church. Rough streets here in Greenville. And we go into unbelievable amounts of debt. 
over stuff. And, it, and let's be honest, in the end, does your stuff make you happy? No, it doesn't. Because every time we get that thing that we're pursuing, after a few weeks, it just kind of becomes the norm, and it kind of gets dull, and then we're on to the next thing. Get out of debt. Get out of debt. Flip back to verse, or chapter 3. I've got to land this plane. I'm sorry, guys. We'll be back in verse 9, the verse we started with. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Um, you might have heard this in Sunday school or growing up. This is called the law of the harvest. Or you might have heard it put like this. A man reaps what he sows. You will reap what you sow. And some of us have lived long enough to find that that is true. If you sow generously, God is saying here, this is, this is not me going health, wealth, and prosperity on you. Uh, I'm not making promises the Bible doesn't. This is me reading the Bible. If you sow generously, God will be generous to you. Surely you have seen this. Maybe you've even experienced this, where you've seen the person who gives and gives and gives, and they are so incredibly blessed, maybe financially, maybe in a lot of other ways as well. And, and I'm not saying this is our motivation, that we should sow $10 and get 100 back. I'm, that should never be our mo motivation. That's corrupt. But this is God's promise to us that He will look after you. Why? Because He cares about you. Can, can we just talk about that for a second? God cares about you. Not, and I'm not saying the editorial or the royal you. I don't mean you as a congregation. I mean you as an individual in your seat. God cares for you. The person that you walked in as, not the person you hope you're going to be one day. Because what we do is we like to think, oh, one day when I get my daily devotions down and uh, my kids stop being crazy and I go to church and I start tithing more, then God will love me. God loves you just as you are in this room right now. Maybe you're drowning in debt and God loves you. God cares for you, and He will take care of you. And He says, this is wisdom in regards to your finances, honoring Him and practicing common sense with your money. So here's what I want to challenge you with, and then I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking. Don't just rush out of here today. Uh, there, there will be some prayer ministers over to the side um, after the service. If you want to come chat with them, if you need prayer about your finances, if you want to talk to them, uh, they're more than happy to talk to you. The pastors here are more than happy to talk to you. Maybe you need to sit down and carve out some time with God today and say, God, how am I being wise with my money and how am I being foolish? Maybe you need to sit down with your spouse and your kids and say, let's come up with a budget because we're going to start tithing and we're going to start making an impact because there's so much potential. God can take your money and bless it like crazy. And listen, tithing's not about money. It's not about the dollars. It's about devotion. It's, not, it's never been about dollars. It's always been about devotion. Tithing keeps us generous. It keeps us selfless. And it keeps God first. Maybe you need to think on those things today. So I challenge you with that. Don't just rush out of here and, and be quick to forget. But find some time today and pray. Let's pray. Father, I hope we leave this place challenged. Uh, I, I, it's interesting that I'm preaching to myself more than anyone. Um, but God, I think we all struggle with this. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us, that you would watch over us. 
that you would keep us, God, and that we would find our security wrapped up in you and not in the things of this world, not in the comforts and promises of this life, but in you and you alone, God. We love you, Jesus. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you need prayer for something or someone in your life? First Presbyterian Church offers a healing prayer service each Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Our prayer ministers will quietly intercede for you or anyone you are representing who needs prayer for physical healing, emotional healing, or forgiveness. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus, the healer and redeemer, in a deep and meaningful way.